1: That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at borough.com slash ACAST.
2: Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast, Memories of Trinity College Community. I'm Morris O'Keefe, and I selected a number of interviews with mostly former members of the academic staff who were also students in the college, so would have spent most of their lives in Trinity College. These recordings were made by Irish Life and Lore in 2011. And in this first podcast on Trinity College life, it covers the years just before World War II and the years after. So let's get started. Peter Gatenby was born in 1923, and he was part of Trinity life for most of his days. His father, James Gatenby, was professor of zoology, in the college from the 1920s and Peter first recalls his stories about his father and his appointment to Trinity
1: College. But he came to Trinity and was appointed which he said he found rather stuffy being uh, they were all Protestants and uh, he didn't go in for uh, it was very much on the against the revolution side and um, he was always a more independent man and and, uh, Used to New Zealand life and um, so anyway uh, he then picked up a lady in the front square who was a student called her ordinary name was Molly Mead who was my mother and they got married yes. in fact the story is that he went into the, the common room full of rather stuffy Protestants and said how do you get married around here and uh, they were married in Trinity College Chapel and uh, I came across the medical register, or whatever you call it, recently, and he was married by the provost. But he married them and in the chapel, and um, very few people were there. In fact, Trinity has been part of my life, all my life, really. My father, usually being independent and original, didn't have a car. He had a motorcycle and sidecar. And I'd sit on the back on the pillion at the back, and my mother would sit in the rather come down for her, sit down in the the, the caboose or whatever it's called. You can, you see. And he we, we went over all over the place and that. He used to come and park, park it here in, in, outside the zoology department. So I'd come in and he would let me wander around the museum because he had also charge of the a museum, which used to be situated at the front gate in Trinity College at one time. But his, um, his predecessor was a man called McIntosh, who he succeeded. And he was a religious type and he used to go and preach out in the street in Dunleary. Uh, and um, so there wasn't any of that with my father. Leslie Tyrrell was born in 1917
2: in Dublin. She entered Trinity College in the 1930s and she studied French and German there she quickly got involved in college societies that women could join at that time.
3: In college, the two important societies were the HIST and the PHIL. And in my time, they didn't have women in those societies at all. And women were not even able to uh, debate with them. And so... Uh, the Elizabethan Society was set up to be a good society for women but much later uh, it sort of died away and but at the time that I was in college it was working fairly well and they could have debates with uh, the Neophyte Society, which was a society of uh, young men in their first year in college.
2: Leslie Turl felt very proud of being a student in Trinity College.
3: We rather despised UCD because we were the old university. We were the oldest university in Ireland, you see. That didn't last, but I think, and maybe, maybe not everybody, not all the women in Trinity at the time, felt that. But uh, yeah, I yeah. know I felt it, and I don't. I don't think I was the only person.
2: Sorry, so it was a little bit snobbish. So yes, yes. yes. So I arrived in Trinity. What year? 41. Loudon Rhine, born in 1923 in Portadown. Could you describe uh, your first impression of the college and what was it like there at that, in those early days?
4: Well, of course, the buildings were there, imposing. I was sharing with uh, a friend also from Portadown who had a citizenship. Uh, we had double rooms in Botany Bay. A slight shock when you arrived. Uh, the furnishings consisted of uh, an iron bedstead in each of the two bedrooms. Uh, I think there was a mattress, a wash hand basin, uh, a wash hand, a wash stand with a basin and jug. One fireplace in the sitting room in a very small vestibule after you opened the door. There was an extended shelf at the window on your left where there was a gas ring with the meter underneath. Uh, off the sitting room as well as the two bedrooms there was a small cubbyhole where food could be stored, small larder. Uh, you had to uh, uh, provide your own heating, which, of course, at that time was all old turf.
2: Geraldine Watts, born in Belfast in 1930, entered Trinity College in 1949 to study English and German. Here she talks about her student days in Trinity. We were after the war years, and... Uh... You know, yeah. things were um, economically they weren't great, but what was Trinity like in the nineteen forty
0: nine? Well,
5: it was very old fashioned, shall we say. <laughs> the rooms, in the lecture rooms, were heated by turf fires. Uh, the I hadn't, I had no experience of uh, that sort of life, and in a funny way, I found the Protestant community here much more narrow-minded than the one I had been brought up in, because it was much more middle class, (laughs) I think is the reason.
2: Was the college at the time, did it have a lot of the old... Ways that never left yes. us, for even oh, yes. from the nineteenth oh, century
5: yes. yes, yes, we had to wear gowns to go to lectures. You didn't get credit for being there if you weren't wearing your gown, at least that was with quite a lot of the lecturers. The younger ones weren't so fussy, but you were uh, I mean one of the things and, and you were left to find your own way. <laughs> I mean, I can remember being told that the timetable was up in uh, the Regent House in the front gate. And I went and I looked at it, and it had things that said, Michaelmas term, Hillary term, Trinity term. And I looked at it, and I said, what does that mean? Yeah. (laughs) it didn't mean anything to me. (laughs) I didn't realise that this was the Michaelmas term I was in.
2: Oh wow, yes. Uh,
5: and, and so... Um, I was used to them being the winter term, the spring term, the summer term.
2: I know, so that was one... That uh, was one, yeah.
5: Office. So that it was more formal and more cut off. It was very cut off from the rest of the city, really. Mm-hmm. You couldn't come in, uh, you, you couldn't be in the college after six o'clock. Except to work in the reading room. Uh, and in order to come in and work in the reading room, you went into Front Gate, and there was what was in those days called the Porter's Lodge, on your left, and you went in there, and there was a porter, with a great big book, and big clock over it, and you looked at the clock, and you wrote 705, and you put your name on it. Then you walked across to the library, and there was big book... And you put 7.08 or some similar time. And if there was too big a gap...
2: So they left... uh, So everything was was was, uh, You signed in and you
5: signed out. I imagine. Each time. And the amount of time that you spent walking it, if it was too long, you could find yourself up in front of the lady registrar saying, now, what what were you doing? You must not sort of hang about in front square now. You have to go... (laughs)
2: Ian Howey, whose background was in Scotland, was appointed to the Zoology Department in Trinity College in 1953, and he later took up the position of Vice Provost. I asked him if there was an Anglo-Irish feel about the place at that time.
6: I suppose it was, yes, it was, because... uh, But in one sense it was... um, But it was remarkable that it had a a really quite large Catholic population, very large Catholic Irish population. Um, And they were all fairly uh, independent, independently minded, independent thinking people who had made up their minds to go to to Trinity. And they were all very effective. And Dermot Harahan, who you spoke, spoke to earlier today, he would have been a good example. They were they were people who weren't Trinity people. They had you know, they'd been to other colleges, they came on the staff to Trinity. Some of them had been students. But there was an Anglo Irish atmosphere in the place, but the population wasn't by any means and the forceful part of the population wasn't entirely Anglo Irish by any means.
7: I can remember as a small child going into Trinity. My father often went to Trinity on the bicycle,
2: Janet Moody, daughter of T. W. Moody, professor of modern history in Trinity College in the nineteen fifties. Janet used to visit her father in the college, and here she talks about her memories of that time.
7: And he was quite well known for the long hair flying in the wind on the bicycle, and he had. at the time we were very small, he had a, a, a seat on his bicycle. Mm-hmm. And I can remember um, going in with him and he had a key to the side doors of Trinity, the big, heavy iron, I suppose they are, doors. And, he, and for a child, it was like going into a magical world because they were, the, the, in inside in Trinity, uh, we, we went to the, um, the Provost Garden and my memory is that there was a, what I was told was a wishing well there in the Provost's Garden. I've no idea if that was real or not. I was just a figment of my imagination. And the other thing was that where is now the arts block was then the Fellow's Garden. And at one stage, and I don't know how long ago this was, sometimes you don't know whether you were told something or whether you actually remembered. But anyway, I have an image of there were peacocks in the fellow's garden at one stage and um, the other thing i remember and again i'm not sure what um what age i was but i can remember playing croaky in the <laughs> fellow's garden <laughs> so that was totally another world. so those were childhood memories and i used to, as a small child uh you know the way you think your your, your parents are kind of in charge of everything, and I, I used to call it Daddy's College. I thought he was totally in charge of the whole place. <laughs> so I have, you know, I had connections with Trinity long before I went there.
8: Trinity was very small in those days, you know. You got to know an awful lot of the, of, of the companions too. I mean, I mean, in doing geography and natural science, for example, there were only four of us.
2: Joe Horton spent much of his life in Trinity. He recalls here his undergraduate days remembering many of the characters who were professors in the college during the war years.
8: But that was within the context of natural science because we had to do, um, I did botany uh, with old Henry Dixon. (laughs) I could talk a lot about him, but anyway, uh, Dixon. uh, um, But
2: Do, do, tell me what kind of a character was he?
8: Well, you see Dixon Dixon I, I suppose when we <laughs> uh Dixon was quite a famous uh, botanist he he uh and he used to say that <clears throat> uh to learn anything new his brain was full to learn anything new he had to forget something and he certainly did he'd come and he'd give a lecture which is identical with the one he'd given the previous day and we would sit back and we eventually decided to desert botany four of us we all went to bacteriology <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
8: and we were thrown out of bacteriology <laughs> we were sitting in the back and uh, it was uh, Oh, what was the name of the professor of bacteriology? It was called bacteriology, though it was was not microbiology. Mm -hmm. So we had to go back to botany again. But there was a a young Australian assistant there, and he sort of took over and we romped on. So that was that, and then I did geology. Mm -hmm. Now, I liked uh, Frank Mitchell, of course, was a young man then. Uh, He had just come on the staff. He was a very good lecturer. And Louis Smith, who was the professor, was uh, excellent, a rather precise man, but, uh, very, very good.
0: What were you
2: studying at the time when you were here as a student?
0: I studied French and Irish in what they call a the moderatorship in uh, modern languages. Uh, but I'm of historic interest, I suppose, because I was the last person to take, not the last person, but I was in the last intake uh, of those who took the old little-go examination.
2: Barbara Wright, New Robinson, was born in Dublin in 1935, and she entered Trinity College in 1952. And like so many others, that's where she met her future husband, Professor William Wright.
0: So there I found myself in my first year doing an exam that you had to have done by the time you ended your second year in order to rise with your cohort. And this was little go. You took six subjects, some of which were your own and some of which were not. Uh, And so um, I took, um, my, my unusual ones were logic, and uh, mechanics. And my husband, whom I subsequently met and who was an engineer, always thought it was one of the funniest things in the world to think of my being able to pass an examination in mechanics. But I did.
2: The 1950s here in the college then... It was a small college.
9: Uh, There was... One thousand eight hundred pupils, maybe a little bit more. It dropped a bit when the um, the ex servicemen stopped coming, but the the the
2: English still the English students still came. Brian Murray entered Trinity College on a sizership in experimental science in nineteen forty nine. But there was uh, there was a, there, were, there was a very big English influence
9: on it. Now I. At that stage, I was led a fairly sheltered life. My father was ill, and I, I didn't much part. I didn't go on Commons. I, as a sizer, I could have gone on Commons. I didn't go on Commons, which uh, was a great regret
10: in uh, uh, later. And I came into Trinity as a very young secretary, aged nearly nineteen, in the Senior Tutor's office under the Reverend R.M. Gwynne.
2: Jennifer McAllister entered Trinity College as
10: a secretary in 1952. Um, Who had an ear trumpet that I had to shout down when I was doing secretarial work. It was also the office of the tutors. So all the tutors used to come in and dictate their letters during the day and come in the afternoon and sign them and send them off. And and
2: the job here in Trinity, when it came about, was it advertised? Is that the way you saw it? I don't
10: remember it being advertised, but George Duncan uh, and Frank Mitchell were the, were officers at that stage, and they needed another secretary. Um, there were two already, I think, Rosemary Furling in the senior tutor's office. And I think it was George Duncan invited me, telephoned me, um, I don't know how we... I really don't know how I had met him initially, Mm. but uh, would I come in for an interview, which I had with George Duncan and Frank Mitchell. And I got the job on the spot and started pretty quickly. I used to cycle in from Park Avenue, Sandy Mount, cycle in and cycle home again and park my bike over there. Top floor there was my office. Senior tutor's office over
2: there, and uh, we're just looking in out
10: West Theatre, West Theatre, yes, oh, nice. yes, yes. Right, those three windows there, and we had a great time. We got a and we got a month's holiday in the summer, yes. and um, parked the bike down. I used to put up students' exams. I mean, there were very, I think, about two and a half thousand students in those days. I used to post the exam results down in the down in the lobby down there. And there would be some very angry people who would come in when they'd failed. So yeah. that was
2: your job then. Uh, it was oh, one of the oh, jobs. What were yes. the other jobs?
10: Well, it was mostly correspondence and uh, making contact with uh, with students. Um, I, uh, there must be lots of tutors now, and they, I think each tutor had about I don't know two hundred students. Most of them they would never have seen. Uh, Only the ones that misbehaved were the ones that had to come and face their tutors. Um, But it would be letters and student records, um, whether they'd attended lectures, as many lectures as they needed, and, and exams.
2: How did you see the college?
10: Very small, and as a family, really, like a family. It was very friendly. Um, wonderful names on the um, administrative staff like Aileen Campbell and Winifred Matthews, Helen Watson. Um, um, They were all... they sort of ran college, really. Mm -hmm. And she
2: also met her future husband in Trinity College, Professor FSL Lines, who was elected as provost in the 1970s. -hmm.
10: And um, I met my husband on day one in the tutor's office, Um, And we were married in April 1954 in the chapel, only the third or fourth wedding ever in the chapel and our reception in the upper senior common room. So I've been in Trinity for a long time. He was a lecturer and a fellow at that stage. And um, we were there until he was headhunted to go and start the new University of Kent at Canterbury. Uh, he was a founding father there, professor of history, and we went over there and were there for ten years until he was elected back to Trinity to the provostship.
11: Well, I took my degree, which was a four years degree in Trinity. The science degree is; they're all all degrees are called BA degrees, with mod after it to signify that it's an honors degree.
2: Peter Byle grew up in Sligo, and. He entered Trinity College in 1956 on a sizorship to study science, graduating with a gold medal for chemistry.
11: Um, Trinity was a very small, friendly sort of place in those days. There were, I guess, maybe 4,000 students or something like that. And this was in 1956, which was not all that long after the war, there was still a tradition of rich young Englishmen came across to Trinity and had a marvellous time. They, some of them never did any work, they just came over with their sports cars, had a lovely time, did a past degree and went home again. So there was that element of the student population in my day. They were very friendly but we had nothing in common with them. You know, young fellows from English public schools with sports cars and lots of money whereas we had practically no money. The the
2: protocol in all of that... There was a
11: certain amount of formality, but by and large, the college took the line that um, we were now adults. um, We weren't forced to do anything. We weren't forced to go to lectures, if I remember rightly. It was up to yourself to control your own life. And, of course, the crunch came at the examinations which you had to pass. But it was reasonably free and easy places. We weren't very regimented or anything like that. Now, there was no mixed... A coffee bar. So uh,
12: there was no buttery. The buttery was for men. The men dined in the dining hall. Women were not allowed at Commons.
2: Susan Parks grew up in Dublin and she entered Trinity College in 1954 to study history. And here she remembers the rules and regulations associated with the college. So were those places out of bounds?
12: No, they went out of bounds. Uh, it meant that, that you transported your life. For example, if you wanted to go out for coffee with a, 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 a bow, you had to go to one, you went to uh, Switzerland's Basement, which is very popular, or the new coffee shops, the coffee shop had become the place. I, I don't think we really felt at all. We just accepted it, and, and women have said to me afterwards, why did you accept that? You should have fought tooth and nail. And we said, well, you know, we thought we were privileged. We were like... Uh, we were having a university education, which was not an awful lot of women didn't in those days I mean they went straight from school into a bank or commercial work or secretarial work or the but you were lucky to be here and your father was paying and my father gave me i remember he gave me ten pounds a month uh, he said i'll put ten pounds a month into your in, opened a bank account and you live on ten pounds a month and that 's it i 'll pay the fees, but you can pay and my mother said she'd pay uh the cobbler's bills. Well, those days, you seemed to always have your shoes mended. She said, it wouldn't let me go round with my heat down at the eel. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, you had to live on the, well, the den. Which is very good, because you had to budget.
3: Had yes. To
2: budget. And we leave the last memory to William Vincent Denard, who was born in 1923 in Bangor in County Down. He entered Trinity College as an undergraduate in 1941 and later returned to Trinity College in 1965 to take up the post as a warden of Trinity College and dean of women students. Was it very collegiate in its, mm-hmm. in its ways?
9: I think it probably, yes, more so, of course, in the 40s, certainly, of course, during the war years, when... I think the student population was quite small. I would guess there might only have been somewhere between 500, 600 students in the early years and quite a high proportion of those would have been resident in the college or of women in Trinity Hall. So that made it much more collegiate than it it can be with very large numbers.
2: Did you notice... uh an influx of extra students coming in after the war
9: years. Oh, yes. Well, particularly for a period after the end of the war, probably about forty-seven, forty-eight on, there would have been quite a large number of students coming in from England because quite a number of them... A fair number were ex-servicemen, because there was a great deal of pressure for university education, and the colleges in England uh, could not cope. And besides, Trinity had uh, a high reputation.
2: I, I, so between your college days, living uh, in there, and and you were almost becoming institutionalized. You didn't right. you didn't have to go out for anything really. That's
9: right. You could live. You could live in the college. I used to say I only went out of the college, say, once a week, maybe once a fortnight, to go to the bank on college grade. (laughs) 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 And otherwise you could live your entire life within the college pretty well. Well, I mean, I exaggerate. But uh, even as a student, I mean, I need not go out Probably didn't go out of the college gate more than twice a week yeah
2: and and so the facilities of course and uh, and that were uh that bit better when you were when you were there as as a uh, as a lecturer
9: well they had improved yes yes, and of course the uh, obviously the war uh, the restrictions were not in place yeah i mean you had uh, well, I certainly say had a gas fire uh, to provide heating, but I mean gas is a very costly form of heating. Yeah. Uh,
2: were the winters cold? Remember those years. Mm-hmm.
9: I was telling some people telling you, during the war years. Mm-hmm. I remember. I forget which cold year, but there were years in which we habitually would wear two pairs of trousers. Because there would be very little heating in the reading room, very little heating in any lecture room we were at. There would have a cold fire, but it might not. I mean, it might warm the lecturer, but it wouldn't do much for the
2: rest of
1: us.
9: Well,
2: we've come to the end, and you've been listening to a selection of interviews with members of College Community And if you would like to access the full interviews, you can do so by going on to www.irishlifeandlore.com. And there you can access the entire interviews from each of the sound clips that you've been listening to. I'm Maurice O'Keefe and I look forward to bringing you part two of Trinity College Stories in the Future.